Today we come to the end of the great 50 days of Easter, this season when we intentionally focus on the mystery and the power of resurrection. This year, as I have gone from church to church across the diocese these last six weeks, for the first time I had what I sheepishly call a sermon series. I always associated those things with Baptists. I've tried to build on each week's lectionary readings of how it is that resurrection becomes an ever-enlarging truth. First, on Easter Day, there was the well-known story of an empty tomb and Mary seeing Jesus in the guise of a gardener. Then we heard about the risen Christ in a locked room of disciples and what he looked like, scarred skin and all. The next week, the focus of the gospel and the book of Acts turned away from what the risen Christ might look like and instead focused on when it is that the risen Christ shows up. At the most inconvenient of times, it appears, as, for example, when someone has no clothes on, as was the case with Peter while fishing, or is someone who is hard at work breathing threats of murder against the followers of the crucified Jesus of Nazareth, as was the case with Saul on the road to Damascus. Just when you don't want Jesus around, there he is. The subsequent week, we got a different viewpoint. Instead of the what of resurrection or the when of resurrection, we delved into the how of resurrection of how it is that resurrection continues to occur. In the story of Tabitha, she provided for the widows in her community and subsequently found new life herself. The how of resurrection is that when someone focuses on the well-being of others, resurrection follows. Or to rephrase the wording somewhat, resurrection is the consequence of unconditional love. And then we got to the story of Peter and his vision of all sorts of animals with the divine instruction to consider them clean even if they weren't kosher. We discovered that the nascent Jerusalem church itself was resurrected from its old life of being solely a group of like-minded people when it finally understood the implication of Peter's vision. That is, that people unlike themselves were to be welcomed into the fold. In six weeks, we went from a resurrection appearance of Jesus of Nazareth to the resurrection of the church. Today, on this last day of Easter season, the practical results of resurrection are explained, believe it or not, in an ancient story of early human existence, the Tower of Babel, which, when combined with the story of Pentecost in the book of Acts, turns into a primer on evangelism. Today we become something like young birds being pushed out of the nest because it's time to grow up. For most of us, the story of the Tower of Babel has probably been connected too closely to the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis and their expulsion from the garden. On the surface, it indeed seems like one more expulsion story. God kicks people out of where they've been living. The plot of Adam and Eve was a story of human hubris eating the fruit that they thought would give them wisdom, just like God had. Today's story, so close in Genesis to that story, has been viewed as a story of hubris as well. The first humans apparently wanted to build a tower so high that they could be as mighty as God. 
But a close reading of the text gives us a story that is not focused on hubris so much as it's focused on fear. What we learn is that the fallen human condition is to fear the unknown, and fear is not the divine will. The early humans build themselves a city because they want to remain in one place together. As a commentator in the Common English Bible states it, the text emphasizes the wish to preserve one common culture. These people are afraid of going into the unknown, fearful of being, quote, scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth, as we heard read in the lesson. In some sense, they are fearful to be evangelists. And isn't that where we find ourselves as well? We all want to stay close to our own kind where it's comfortable. Do you need some examples? Well, these days, algorithms curate our online news sources so that we get more and more of what we've been reading or listening to, reinforcing what we already think. And you can see what that has done to politics. Our driving patterns in our cars keep us away from certain parts of town. Really, how much do any of us in this room know about what life is like south of Asher Avenue in Little Rock? And as my third example, it pains me to report that a room full of Episcopalians at an out-of-state meeting this past year told me that they were proud that they had never set foot in a Walmart. That's no way to see the resurrected Christ. It's hard to see what unconditional love looks like. It's hard to see what the resurrected Christ looks like when all we ever see are mirror images of ourselves. Resurrection is to be taken to new places, new cultures, to see where the risen Christ is appearing today. Resurrection is to be surprised in seeing the breadth of God's love in people unlike ourselves. And that's something that both liberals and conservatives need to hear. That's why the story of the Tower of Babel has God going down into the city and confusing the people's language. They must be dispersed. The varieties of culture that will arise are good and healthy and necessary for seeing the reality of the extent of God's presence in all of created order. Focusing only on our own kind is deadly. Gang members kill others who are not part of their gang. Nations go to war because those other people are different. The poor go hungry because we don't understand why they don't get a job like the rest of us with college degrees. The story of the Tower of Babel has God pushing us out of the nest to see what the rest of the world looks like, to see the flesh of the resurrected body of Christ in this day and age. For the last 49 days, we've heard stories of resurrection. Now it's time to discover it for ourselves as God's Spirit moves us. As told to us in the book of Acts, the people who were sitting in that room on the day of Pentecost were familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel. The common thread between Pentecost and that ancient tale is a multiplicity of languages. The Pentecost story is not that everyone heard and understood the same language as if they had taken a Duolingo course online, but rather that there was something spirit-filled and life-giving in the multiplicity of languages, in the multiplicity of cultures, just as the resurrected Christ is seen in so many different lives, 
just as God's love is simultaneously vast and particular, depending on the circumstances of each person who needs it. The call on Pentecost is to get out. Stop living in fear. Take the good news to wherever it is that it's needed. Now that might scare us. Our call is to take the good news to wherever it is that we need to see it already in action. And that's probably going to definitely surprise us. But that is what a Christian life is all about. To be surprised at where the Spirit of God chooses to hover. To be surprised at where the risen Christ will next be seen walking in the midst of ordinary human beings going about their daily lives. Walking among infants and adults being baptized. Walking among very different sorts of people being confirmed. Walking among any of us, whether we understand it or not, whom God delights to call Christ's own forever. Amen.